Welcome to Full Stack Business Owner, where we are enhancing your full stack of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Now, if you're not already on the newsletter, head over to fullstackbusinessowner.com forward slash newsletter, put in your details and get notified every single time we drop one of these episodes, but also receive some of these little Easter eggs that we provide out to business owners to help them with wealth inside and outside their business. Now, Charlie, before we dive into our episode, let's cue your... No, we're not. That was the most straight away to the point intro ever. I, I feel like I need a Grammy for that. You got a trophy I can't believe you? how properly you just did the did intro. You like, dude, I, and that was like off the head. I had no script or anything like that. Anyway, I'll stop telling everyone how good I am. Let's cue the disclaimer. Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. All right, Grant, this is the 10th time we are recording this episode. <laughs> Legit, it is the 10th time. People think I'm joking. We have I'm failed our way topic. through this because it is such a dry and boring topic. And do you know how many times I've gotten through this and go, we can't publish this? Dude, I'm laughing because if I don't, I'll cry. <laughs> so we're talking about the budget, the federal budget. <laughs> Way to get listeners, Charlie. Way to get listeners. <laughs> Tenth time. Tenth time. All right. Well, let's get into it. I'm going to set the context straight out of the gate here because I do actually think this is an important topic, but just a, such a boring one. It's like oh, finances sick. in business. It's really important, but at the same time, incredibly hard to have a discussion around that people will enjoy on a podcast. So every year, the way I prepped for this one, because I just could not get myself to like watch the budget <laughs> information. So I was on a fly last night downloaded all the budget videos on YouTube and just like had nothing else on my phone. And so the only other option was to me, me staring at the chair in front of me or prepping for this episode by watching budget videos on YouTube. Wait, <laughs> so what the- percentage of the flight did you spend just staring <laughs> at the like, then? 95% staring at a chair, 5% watching YouTube videos. <laughs> but I'm prepped. I've got it. It was, it was enthralling, Charlie. I appreciate this topic. I'm not even going to ever do this episode again next year. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> You're on your own. <laughs> anyway, I am going to bring in some important things because, as I said, it's important, just like the finances of your own business. It's not the totally. thing that many of us get up excited about, but nonetheless, very, very critical to the success we see. So the, the way I want to frame this one up is I think it is a good idea for business owners to think of Australia as a business instead of a country. Totally. Right, And to take that one level deeper is that you're a business owner building a business, your wealth, and your life within this business. So when we get given the budget and the business of Australia is literally telling you how do they plan to spend their money over the next 12 months, this is important stuff. It's also something where if you understand this a little bit, you can align with it and actually achieve better results. And I'll also say that you could also, by uh, through ignorance or not understanding, actually work against yourself in a really, really big way. And that's why I think this episode is an important one to release despite the dryness of this topic. And to, to relate to that, I think about the 
country, as a business, and every different country is its in its own little ecosystem. And they've kind of like niched, right? Like you've got China with a whole heap of innovation and uh, like manufacturing. You've got US with manufacturing. You've got UK doing Wait, wait, you definitely don't have the US with manufacturing. The US has uh, the tech sector, I know, sorry, but I wouldn't call it a manufacturing Mexico. country. They go get Mexico to do the manufacturing. <laughs> then you've got Germany with financing. Um, and, but I would argue like if I lived in those countries, I would generate wealth different and the businesses that I run to service those local um, countries would be fundamentally different because I need to adapt to whatever that country is doing or whatever those picks and troughs are, which is why I look at the budget and I actually go, as dry as it is, there are some things in here that may or may not shape the way I approach business and building wealth within that country outside of, to your point, packing up and leaving. And which I don't plan on doing. So I better understand this and play it the way that I should be, I think would be the right way to play it. Completely. So uh, before we go to the topic, uh, we've done a bit of research on this one. So from like a knee jerk reaction point of view, if you were going to give this budget a score out of 10, what would you give it? And before you answer, before you answer, can't use a seven. Oh, outrageous. <clears throat> All right, Chad, I'm a people pleaser. You know me as a people pleaser. So I'm going to put- I can actually see you as a politician at some point in your life. (laughs) Shut up. People have said that to me before. Don't say that. Okay. If I was the general populace, the way that this has been presented to me, I'm going to give it an eight out of 10. Because the general populace, I get it for the general populace. As a business owner creating wealth, I'm like wearing this hat and I'm like six. I'm like, I'm going to give it a six out of 10. And I'm I'm putting it out there. So- (laughs) You would have ran in races when you're in high school, when you're in primary school, and they would have given you that little ribbon of participation. Like you started the race and you finished the race, Charlie. It doesn't matter if you came in last. You did the thing that you're meant to do. Some of that is for the participation. You're giving the budget a participation or was like, oh, yeah, good good work there, Australia. You did a budget. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, wait, we can't like – you have to give them some like they were there. They were they ran an effort. They did something. You can't shit like you can't shit on that. So yes, I'm going to go with a six out of ten, Charlie, and I'm a happy guy. What about you? I'm going to give it a five. Just cut it straight down the middle. See participation award. No, that's. I think there was a uh, there was some things I will give points towards, and some things that I just think are oh, not so good. And. Fair. There's one thing people can rely on me for. It is honest and direct feedback. Just You're not like, going to get a yes man out of me. It's just not going to happen. That's why all the nice people and stuff ping me and all the people just want <laughs> just want some honest thing. They just go and ping yourself. Like it's like two completely different human beings. I'll, yeah, I'll let I, I would gently. say that's accurate. I'll actually say that's accurate. <laughs> now, I want to dig straight into this first point here and I'm going to explain why I gave it a five and then we'll unpack more of these points. So straight out of the gate, the thing that I – overwhelmingly am concerned about with Australia in general is the lack of vision and leadership. And I want to use a business owner analogy to express that. When I was reviewing this budget, what I saw is a country that is just trying to fix problems and put out fires. So that business owner that's just getting up every day and just trying to fix it, they're never actually focusing on, you know, the three next three years, the five years, the 10 years and the 20 years. And To the point of that, I think in the long run, people who get up and operate their business just putting out fires just end up very stagnant. Like it's not like they progress in the same way where if you look at companies with these astronomical visions like putting people on Mars, 
you look at what they achieve and it's like, oh, it's quite a big difference. But it's actually the point of like time kills all deals. And so us just kind of being stagnant over a period of time is actually going to set us back in comparison to everybody else who's trying to innovate and improve or has a vision. I know that we talk about uh, China's 100-year vision uh, quite a bit. And it's just like, well, people can rally around that. People get where it's going. Like you are, you have this long-term goal of where you're going to as opposed to uh, there's things that are happening and let's just respond to them. Don't sure you want to are- be a part of a country with a big long-term vision? Even if you don't get to see the conclusion of that, being on that journey and being a part of it, just like I imagine being a part of like SpaceX or Tesla, it's exciting to contribute towards something in that way. Where I feel like there's a big miss here of going, well, as a nation, we don't have something uniting us working towards. And you made a great point there. And the comparative thing is you look at what China's been able to achieve with their 100-year plan. That's very impressive. I would argue, like, I wonder how many Chinese people that you ask what the 100-year plan is with a response that is unanimous or close enough to, right, different interpretations of what it would be compared to going and asking like the 27 million Australians and say, so what do you think Albanese's 100-year uh, plan is or even 50-year plan or 10-year plan is? I actually don't even think you'd ever have any consensus of anything. I, I concur. So I think that's point one here of like why I'm looking at this budget and going what I would have loved to have seen is like massive carve-outs towards achieving something greater for the nation over the long term something rather really than just around. fighting the current challenges of now and today. Totally. All right, so let's dig into the first point here because, or the second one I should really say, but that overwhelmingly was something I'm thinking about and I do hope that the political landscape changes to be more long-term focused because I do think that's how we win. Um, Second point I'm going to make here is inflation. Inflation was dominant in this budget and uh, my big takeaway on inflation is it's here, it's going to be around for a while and I suspect even a while longer than they're anticipating on what they're front there. Did you take the same read from it? I did. Uh, everything that I saw, it was almost like this was the number one point that was being mentioned. It was like there was like two things. It's like one, inflation is very high. Second one is we just need time. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, right. <laughs> That's, that was it. Like that was the whole budget. And so I concur with you. I think uh, I actually think inflation will probably go a bit higher than they anticipated. I think it will also go longer, but I think about it going, okay, well, it is what it is. Like, I can't change that. How is the government approaching it? This is how they're approaching it. But for me as a business owner, like, or even person trying to generate wealth, how am I looking at that inflation? And I know you and I, <laughs> we sit here and joke about, come on, inflate away the debt. That's exactly how I'm thinking about it, right? I'm like, they've got this inflation problem. I think it's going to get a little bit worse and I think it's going to go a little bit longer. Great. No worries at all. I'll play that the way I want to play it. In my my personal wealth is where it primarily hits, even in well, businesses. Before you before you go to that though, because I think that's a great point we're about to go into there. But do you think that inflation is ever going to get back down to what it was for so long, or is this just like the new norm? I th- I think it will. Yeah, it's a good question. I think over the next eighteen months to two years, I think it will bubble down to. I don't know, I'm going to shoot from the hip. I reckon around like three four percent will become the new norm. And I think it will stay there for quite a while with like higher interest rates and stuff. I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll drop down to like the two, two and a half anytime soon, even to the point that I believe with the amount of money that's been printed, et cetera, that it's just going to take so long for everything to equalize that the new normal just become like a three to 
I, I don't think it will get down to the – like we had like 1% and stuff like that. I just think uh, – yeah, I think it hasn't been around long enough. Like it hasn't been around for a long period of time. Now it's kicked in, hit us hard, and now it's going to be high as a new benchmark for quite a while, and then it's going to stabilise itself. What yeah, I'm actually going to say I think it's going to be higher than anticipated for quite a duration of longer. So yeah. I don't think there is any getting back down to 2%. I'm happy to be wrong with that, but I just think that for many people, like there's this tendency for us to believe that, oh, we're going to go back to what it was instead of like this is just a new norm. And I think we're in this new norm and there's an adjustment. But it's just uncharted territory. It's just I haven't had this much debt before. Completely. But to the point of that, what a lot of people or business owners building their business within this is knowing that or anticipating that, you can actually play it to win. Yep. Yeah. All right. So, Grant, I- if you know inflation is going to be around for a while, what are you going to do differently? So, great question. First thing, normalize increases in charging people. <laughs> Like that's a, that's for sure. Uh, the second thing is trying to make sure I don't uh, I utilize any capital that I do have in my business or outside my business. Like it has to be. Like I don't want to be sitting on cash piles because it's as it stays high, as inflation stays higher, obviously the purchasing power of my cash decreases. Um, and even to that point, like I've got some businesses that are now utilizing debt as a way to fund growth now to bank on it in the future. Now, that is a component of, one, the markets and sort of not people not wanting to buy as much equity as they used to want to buy in startups and stuff like that. But it's also a second part of we can get better returns on the growth of a business than the interest rates that it's charging. So for the inflation of, well, when we start repaying this thing back, it just doesn't have as much purchasing power is how we were starting to look at it. And those are kind of three lenses that we've been going, okay, this is how we can play inflation in the business. What about you? Yeah, so there's... For me, inflation is becoming a bigger part of the way I'm going to be doing business and investing and I'll express. Um, On a personal front, I'm going to make adjustments to keep my personal inflation rate as low as possible. Yeah, I think it is critical for people to watch what they actually do and how that's inflating. So using an example, let's say the way you eat currently has you exposed to your food cost going up 50% a year you're exposing yourself to inflation in that way. Or maybe you're someone who just loves having multiple cars and driving them a lot. If fuel prices go up, your personal inflation is is going in that character there. So I'm looking at it and going, there's measures you can do to your lifestyle and behaviours to lower your personal inflation rate. I'm going to stay on that. I think that is a battle worth pursuing. On an investing front though, I'm looking at this right now and going, well, what works in an inflationary environment? Like it's not like all assets perform the same in all environments. Completely. Yeah. So it's like I look to things that uh, what wins in an inflationary environment and that's going to be like if you're a business that actually helps businesses cut costs, I think you're going to thrive in this time. If you're a property investor and you've got debt and let's say just to use easy numbers – Let's say inflation hangs around at 5%, just so we can do the maths in live time. If you've got a million dollars in debt and you're wiping 5% or that is getting eroded every year, it's like that's inflation working for you. Now, I'm by no means encouraging people to take out large amounts of debt and I'm by no means saying that that's the only way to play this. But it's interesting once you get the gears turning a little bit here of going, well, if I can lower my personal inflation rate, which you can, and I can use inflation to 
select better assets or ones that will thrive in this environment or utilize debt vehicles if appropriate for you, suddenly this is something we can get aligned to. Completely. Even to the point, like, Hayes and I, as they the budget came out, started having conversations of, like, do we go and look to buy our permanent place of residency, like go and buy our home? So we were contemplating buying more investment properties and as this comes out and we're starting to think through more of like this inflation point, it's like, well, rent's going to get exp- more expensive, especially in the places that we want to live. Um, property prices being sort of bouncing around a little bit. And we're like, maybe this is the right time mixed with some other things we're going to talk about to go and buy our own house because then we don't feel the inflation impact of rents going up. We can actually utilize the cash that we have now to sort of lock in our repayments outside of interest rates bouncing up and down. And I'm like, this could be a way for us to hedge against that this inflation increasing costs uh, that we saw riddled throughout this entire budget. And so that's one way that we're starting to think through, okay, well, how do we play this game? This is why I feel like this is such an important episode to unpack. So let's let's use a different one here. Let's say the government came out and said, look, we've got a disinflation problem and we're, you know, complete opposite. If, if you're hearing that and what is coming through this budget – you can see that adjusting your plan and way you're thinking about starts to matter more. It, totally. it really does. And even in your comments there, and that's what I think makes this such an interesting ideation to go through and, and consider under this uh, kind of frame. But it's never – the thing that I always find, it's always upon like the epiphany. It's not like the, the people are coming out and saying this. It's like, hey, this is how you interpret it. It's more going deeper and saying, okay, well, how do I interpret this for what I'm doing? How do I interpret this on the play? Um, and that's, yeah, that was the biggest value for us around the inflation point. What about your number three? All right, well, let's jump into the next one here, the debt. I, I was perplexed because, do you, do you know why I was perplexed by this one? I feel like the a- word trillion is becoming <laughs> normalised. <laughs> Dude, like it it's, is. No, it's, it's normal throwaway now. now, like a billion yeah. in debt, who cares? Billionaires, there's too many of them. Like, it's like, you're not special anymore. Do you think we'll see the first trillionaire in our lifetime? I reckon we will. Totally, totally we'll see the first trillionaire. We've, we've seen the first trillion dollar companies, countries and trillion dollars of debt. Like this is this is normal. This is just welcome to inflation, Charlie. Yeah. So point is Australia is about to hit, and I don't think they've quite crossed it, although they Not might yet. have by now, um, one trillion in debt with yep. the full Dr. Evil face <laughs> right now. <laughs> yes, one trillion in debt. How do you feel? All right, so I, my take on this is that when I look towards most people and I say, oh, the government's got a trillion in debt, the thing they go to is like, well, we're meant to pay that back. It's meant to be zero. <laughs> should be zero, Charlie. We should be a profitable country. I'm joking. All right, hear me out on this one. Would you say you'd have to give Apple credit that they're probably one of the best businesses in the world, would you not? Yes. Would, do you think they have zero debt? Oh, dude, I love – I know the answer to this and I love where you're taking it. No, I, I know they don't have zero debt. Okay. Do, we'll just consider this. Do you think Amazon – you know, another good company? Great company. Do they have zero debt? Definitely not. Fascinating. Grant, do you have zero debt? I'm curious. Definitely not. Can I ask why all these companies and yourself have debt? <laughs> because it is such a great vehicle to go and utilise to invest in other things. Case in point is like, <laughs> isn't it like, but somehow like I must admit even for myself, I look at the debt our country's for and I'm like, why do we have this debt? We shouldn't have debt. Listen, what are we talking about? 
That's the it's knee-jerk like, reaction. Like, yeah, where I actually look at it and go, I'm not sure a country having debt is a measure of it being a good or bad country. I think more of a measure is like how they utilise that. So if our country was going to take on a trillion dollars of debt and it was going to go into infrastructure to make all the businesses way more efficient, I'm for it. Yep. If our country was going to take on debt right now and really work on buying things that will deal with inflation, I'm for it. I I really am for it. I think there's many ways. I don't think the debt being good or bad is a characteristic here and I'm not sure – I feel like this point is getting blown up and there's like some concern that if our country has debt, it's a bad thing. Too much debt, definitely, but the idea of the debt being zero is just ridiculous in my mind. Uh, It was one thing that popped up quite a lot was this comparison of the amount of interest that we have to pay on this debt as a country was – I can't remember exactly what it was. It was like the combination of Medicare and something else combined – is and the interest rate payments that we have to make every single year is larger than all of that and that's like the key point like how do do you interpret that because you sit there and say cool great our tax money is going back to the government and they are paying off this huge debt which we can't fathom because we've never seen a trillion dollars of debt as a country before like do you sit there and say don't don't worry hush hush like this is all part of a bigger plan yeah so the way i think about it is the way i think about my property portfolio so um, currently as it stands, I've got about maybe four-ish million in debt like right now. And, and I look at it and go like, oh, you know, perceivably for myself, like that's a large amount of debt on my investments. But at the same time, I think about, well, how am I dealing with that? And I go, well, to the point we made a little bit earlier is I'm looking at inflation and going, well, if inflation's 5%, I think it's like 7 at the moment. 7.3, I think it was. Yeah. Okay, so do the maths on how hard inflation is eroding that $4 million in debt for me. Completely. Yeah, so I look at that and go, on the idea of that, is the government not doing the same here? There's some very smart people that work in government, far smarter than I. And I look at that and go, maybe inflation hanging around a little bit here to help them pay down that debt is what they're really going after. And I just you know think back to the story of my nan with her house is like inflation, inflation ate her debt and it would have inflated away many debts. So point one I'll make here is that I think the way uh, to look at this is I go potentially inflation is going to play a role in, in paying that back and governments do rely on it, which I look at and go is why it seems a little bit of the motivation. Like you never hear anyone say inflation should be zero, right? To- totally. And yeah, they need I, it. And I look at like my property portfolio and – I have zero plans of paying down the debt. I'm <laughs> just like I like I look at the debt and I just go, great, no worries at all. What's the interest rate that I have to pay on it, which is obviously increasing recently? Um, that's the game I'm playing. So I'll just continue sitting on this debt for the next 30 years. And I think of it very similarly with the government. I'm like, I don't think they've got any plans of paying down. I think it truly is just like the new benchmark, right? And then like in a year or two or three or five or ten, they'll be like, well, it's two trillion now. And we're like, okay, cool. Like it's just it's just part of the bigger game, but it's understanding like how we use it in our wealth creation of just going, oh, no, I, I intellectualize that. I can understand that concept. Like the conversations in government are probably like, guys, let's just inflate this away. Like it's it's fine. It's just part of doing business. Well, there's a second layer to that, right? And b- before we go any further, I will say you can definitely get irresponsible with debt and wipe yourself out, right? Don't Great. get reckless. I think there's a line somewhere where people have to get reckless. Do I think Australia's crossed that yet? No. And um, we'll come to some other ones here. But the other side of it is, um, 
with property, right, the way I've always thought about it is if I can borrow $100,000 and let's say it costs me $100 a week to pay for that debt, if I can get someone to rent a property uh, for that and they're going to pay me $150 a week, I'm now making money on the debt. There's a spread on that debt. Completely. Right, so you can see these points here. So if I've got inflation and I can potentially make a spread on my debt, well, then I'm looking at it and going, well, my attitude towards debt is going to be very different. And it's the same in business, right? So if you're looking at it and going, well, can I borrow $100,000 to build a factory, design a service, hire some employees, and they're going to produce a profit higher than the cost of paying back that debt and the cost to deliver that, of course. Well, same rules apply. Now, if you didn't have the debt, you couldn't make that profit. Completely. So if a business doesn't have the cash or as an investor, we don't have the cash to buy property outright, it's like you can see that the role of debt within that actually creates profitability. And I think it applies the same to a country. So if Australia had no debt, we would actually be worse off as a nation. Especially in comparison to everybody. (laughs) Yes. I could not concur more. Yeah. Now, if Australia was the only country in the world using debt, Right, we would actually be moving faster than everyone. So I think there's a whole idea of like we're relative to the world. We're actually probably in an okay place with debt overall. Could we, you know, could this, uh, could we spend our money a little bit better? Definitely. I'm not even going to argue with you that. You rated them a five out of ten. Like, <laughs> of course they would. Absolutely, because I would have spent the money a little bit differently if it was me. But again, that's just a Charlie thing we'll consider in this idea. Charlie Mass. Yeah, I, I concur. Debt is such a powerful lever. And uh, dude, I use it in businesses. So I got businesses that are getting debt, as I was saying before, to go and grow their business now to counteract what they're currently seeing because as everyone else is like contracting, we're looking to increase. I use it heavily in in investments because it helps give me a better, a better returns because I'm leveraging off the debt that I have. And I just think countries do the exact same thing. It's, it's so normal now. And I, I would argue that I don't think they ever care about the thought of paying it back. I think that's just – I don't even think that anyone even had that conversation of, you want to try and pay that trillion dollars back, Charlie? <laughs> I just don't think it's there. Like, I, it's not. Yeah, has your attitude towards debt changed the deeper you go into business and investing? Yes. Uh, the more that I learn about – Debt, the more I look over history and how it's been utilized, and actually, thanks to a lot of what's been happening over the last couple of years, I appreciate it so much more as a lever to push and pull at specific points. And you made a great point around like it's a strategic debt, like just getting consumer debt on a credit card and stuff like that. Completely different conversation. But I appreciate it so much more that I can understand how these bigger businesses, like to your point, Apples and Amazons, how countries, US, UK, Australia, et cetera, use that lever to grow now in order to reap the rewards later or even to create a, a playing field for other people to re- reap the rewards. Right, like yeah, it's it's a tool, right? It's like right tool for the right environment. It's like if you need uh, a screwdriver and you go get a hammer, like you can do damage. Completely. It's not going to go well. So it's like you use it at the wrong point, the wrong situation, or take on the wrong debt. It can completely mess with you. But at the right time, it's uh, it's the difference between using a screwdriver and using a drill. Yep. It's massively enhances the like what you can do. 
All right, well, I want to jump into this next one um, here. So we've got the debt and then the, I really want to tie this next one in because I think it actually ties into the point we're making here. So if the government is, let's say, trying to think about how they might deal with this uh, $1 trillion and the interest payments and all the rest, I know what would help Grant. I know it would help a lot. <laughs> Having more people in the country to pay tax to increase the revenue the country produces. It is a wonderful thing about living in Australia. <laughs> so forty million, our government is going to spend on improving its visa processing. So when we, we can bring people into the country faster and deal with the backlog of people that are applying to come into the country. Okay, I'm going to leave you on this. So here's a couple of things that I, I found amazing around this. So forty million on improving our efficiency and effectiveness of approving visas and, and reviewing it, increasing the intake of immigrants two hundred thousand per year into Australia. On top of that, do they've got increases in minimum wage for people if they come across to study, like if they're working in restaurants and stuff like that, they get more income. They're also providing a billion dollars worth of free TAFE, half a billion dollars worth of free university. So that's 480,000 places for TAFE students, 20,000 places minimum for university students. Uh, are you starting to see this thing? By the way, Charlie, they're also uh, co-investing in properties when you were buying your first property and stuff, up to $350 million. Well, uh, just to set context on this one here, all those new TAFE placements aren't just for the people that are immigrating totally. to Australia. They're for existing Australians also. But here, here's what I hear. I hear we want to get people educated so they can earn more and pay yep. more tax. I hear we want to bring more people into the country so that there's more people to pay tax. Faster. And we want to spend money on... Uh, processing visas and to get them in so that we can uh, get them into this as quick as possible. I will also add, it's actually quite expensive to immigrate to Australia. The government actually makes money on that as well, right? I, I don't, um, I'm not sure what uh, Hazel's experience was for moving from the Philippines to Australia, but I don't think it was free. It's five figures. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, there is, there is good thing. And by the way, they're also going to help them buy properties too. Like so everybody can start buying properties. So just jam them in the ecosystem, Charlie. <laughs> Bring them in. Well, we, we, we do have the room, I will say. Like as, as a country, there totally. is room to grow. I'm not actually anti our country growing through immigration or um, birthing more children. I actually think it's a great thing that we want to grow our nation. Um, but the thing that I'm looking at is on I'm looking at this and going, all right, we're going to grow. And then I look over to the uh, latest CoreLogic report and I look at the vacancy rates of just like how tight the rental and property markets are and just how many houses we have as a country, my knee-jerk reaction was property prices are going to go up. I can't see, I can't see them not. Right? Like if they hit all of those immigration figures, but also if they create all these skilled workers and if they assist them in investing in property, or like buying property, I should say, sorry, I, I don't see how it could not increase, especially like people struggle to get rentals now. The build, like builders are going bankrupt. Like there is so much that needs to happen in order to support such a large influx of people into the country, plus even support the people that are here now, like the people who were born here, right? The new, new people buying new houses and doing all these things. Like I just, I don't know how it would be stagnant. I just cannot see that at all. Of course, not financial advice. These are just Grant and I's opinions, and I'm not even sure we're allowed to say property's going to go up on this podcast. I hope no one will take that as go buy property. But um, the 
It's interesting. Like, how do you, in this environment right now, uh, with interest rates going up, perceivably, or even not even perceivably, if you look at the core logic data, property prices are going down in some locations at the moment. Totally. But long term, if there's 200,000 people coming into the country, do we really think they're going to fall that far or aren't going to go back up? Like, I, something, I, something doesn't add up. Yeah. And it, it's one of those things that's fascinating to me about property. And this comes back to the original point that we we're talking about around how each country is a different business, right? Because if you went and put 200,000 people into the US where they've got 350 million people, like it's like a fraction of a percent. But imagine that Australia was 20 million, which we're about 27, and you go and jam 200,000 people in. Like you're now talking about what a 1% increase every single year. <laughs> like if you in- include the people who were born in Australia, like you're increasing your population 1% every single year, which then- I don't think it would be quite 1% though because people would obviously pass away pass as away. well, right? Well, that's why I was like- factoring in newborns who were- So if you took the new immigrants and the newborns coming in- like Might you, be half a percent. I'll give you half a percent. I'm not going to give you a full percent I, on that. I, I still- So, but even on that point- like what other places do you know that has that lever to impact it that much? I know one. Where? Monaco. Oh, dude, you have gone deep to find that example. <laughs> oh, do you know how I know this one? Is because it's become uh, – so Monaco is obviously a very tiny country. Right? I think it's That's only like fantastic. a couple of kilometres in general. But it's become profitable for them to start building in the ocean like actually to make more land. So at a point, a country when they've run out of room and it's so highly desired, is they're looking at the ocean going, it's actually worth infilling ocean and building an apartment block to do it. And I'm like, wow. You could, dude, I'm, I lost it. You could totally, I could totally see how you found that out. You were sitting there going, oh, I love the way that Australia's property market is. I want to buy more property. What other countries look the same? You just spent days. Do you want to know the disturbing thing about this? When they were talking about the pro- prices of the properties I was looking at in Monaco, wasn't even that disturbed. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. Same price as Sydney. No big deal. <laughs> but I can imagine other people in the world watching this would have been like outraged. But I'm like, it just made me realise how expensive property is in Australia. But I, I want to shift this because not just making it property focused, I think it would be understandable why we have drawn the conclusions that on a long-term perspective, if Australia's uh, immigrating people at this rate and there is a shortage of housing at the moment, supply and demand is going to work its way through here and it's likely in our opinions that we think property's in for a good run. Not financial advice, I'm by no means encouraging people to take that comment and go stupid with housing. But the second thing I want to make is this doesn't just affect housing. Oh, you took my point. I love this. Yes, continue. Yeah. So, so let's dig this one a little bit from here is like if there's 200,000 more people in the country, don't they need to eat? Yep. Okay, so does that mean that Coles and Woolworths suddenly have more customers or Aldi or whoever it is? Yep. Yeah, so I, I think there's a whole bunch of knock-on effects. It's not just property that benefits from immigration. It's like all the businesses that serve a growing population. I think even like on a more micro level, like the amount of hotels that don't have all of their rooms open can now open their rooms, right? All of the tapes and universities and stuff that were impacted over the last couple of years can now kind of renormalize again. And we can we can start pushing people into different sort of skill sets that we need as a country sort of progressing forwards. Like there's so many 
great knock-on effects. And I actually think this is one of Australia's uh, benefits is how multicultural we are, right, and how adaptive we are of it. So, like, these are the things which is where my score actually kind of came from of going, you know what, like, I actually think, I think this is a good idea. I think um, supporting the education of people who live and breathe in Australia but also people coming in, like, from a business perspective, this is what I want to see, especially, like, in the tech space, dude, go and push them all into development courses go for it that'd be great for us because like right now australia struggles with like developers and everything because they get taken over to the us and stuff so i'm like this is fantastic because we can groom them the way that we're looking at now so some of the things that i'm hoping for is like what type of university courses are we going to support them but also where are they going to land like what type of people are coming in and stuff which i just don't know the answers to but as a business owner i'm like this is going i to actually do a little bit okay so Australia has a system where it's like, and I'm thrilled to hear this because I didn't realize we uh, were doing this, but it's like if you're, I'm just going to make this up. I'm not going to say this is actually one of it's the fun. points, but let's say Australia looks at it and goes, we need more engineers. What they'll actually do is if someone applies to come into the country and they are an engineer is they move up the list. Yeah. Like we, their applications get processed where it's like in, uh, and again, don't quote me exactly on this. In other countries, they might, they do a lottery system. It's like 400,000 people apply, only 200,000 get in. We're going to randomly select and that's how it works. So we very much look to where the shortages are or the skill sets we want to build. And if someone has that, they can be moved in as a priority. Yeah, dude, we, um, we, folk, uh, we actually sponsored two people, one from uh, Argentina and one from Vietnam. And they, were, they had the skill sets that Australia was looking for, which is development backgrounds. And so they actually came in on what they call like a skilled visa. And then they had to do, uh, they had to work a couple of years before they could go and apply for like a, a residency or like a permanent residency. And then they had to do a whole heap of other stuff before they could become a citizen. Um, but it was actually really interesting how they became prioritized because like we want that skill in Australia and it changes, like the volume of it changes and all those kind of things. So I think you can yeah. look it up as well, right? So it, Maybe think about this in a different light is like if you know Australia is bringing 200,000 people in, it's like you might actually have an advantage of going, well, what skills are coming in and are they the people I want to hire in my business? Totally, totally. I This, this is such a good thing in my opinion. I think that the, trying to pull people and being able to like, what is it, handpick, like to get the government to go and do your recruitment for you. Um, yeah, I, I I don't see it as a downside, especially investing in property on the other side as well. <laughs> I'm like, it's like a double double win for me. I really try not to be such a property bull on this podcast all the time. Like, uh, obviously, I'm very biased and my investing history of the rest of it will show that as well. But at the same time, it just gets me excited when I hear these points, right? It really does. I think structurally, property is very important in Australia. It's a very, very interesting one. Should we jump into the next point? Let's do it. All right. So this is the one that I was probably the, the most like – how can I – I'm just going to say the most what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so I really thought in this budget there would be measures more heavily weighted to addressing the cost of energy, and this is electricity, gas, all of it, right? Petrol prices, the works, and they basically did nothing. Well, they, they did worse than nothing. In the election, they were saying that they were going to give everyone like a couple hundred bucks to put to towards it and then they just reneged like nah we can't print money because of inflation <laughs> yeah well that is true i'll give them pro for that but I, so let, let's just go through th this really quickly here is that um they said that i think it was power has gone up in the last quarter by 20 percent, or energy costs have gone up in by 20 percent. 
Yeah, Q4 2022, expected 20% increase, yes. Yeah, and then uh, in the next financial year, they're expecting it to go up another 30% overall. And that's on top of the 20% increase as well. Correct. Yep. And now, um, just for everyone playing along at home, that's more than one or 50% jump because it's 20% and then 30% on top of that, um, which would tell you that the cost of energy and all those lights you've got on in the background there, Grant, about to start costing you a lot more. Dude, gas was 40% too. So, so you can't even cook. Like these, these are, yeah, the knock-on effects of this is, is going to be decent. Yeah, uh, I don't think people, a lot of people realise, but particularly in uh, food manufacturing, um, they use a lot of energy. So when you talk about businesses moving their energy costs by this much, it's significant how much it drives up the cost of everyday things you may not be considering. Like you really may not be considering in that way. So I'm going to just straight out say pretty disappointing on this area and like how we're dealing with it to this point. And I hope more change comes. I'm actually hopeful though that the private markets take care of it. Really, you know, it, it was actually interesting. This was like going back to the point that I was mentioning before around like how do how have I interpreted this? And I was saying that Hazel and I are starting to think about the idea of buying our own house to live in or permanent place of residency. The concept of the inflation with debt makes sense. I was looking at the skill shortage and a whole heap of people coming in, going. I think that pro- property prices will increase, so no problems at all. But the actual point around, like, if I continue to rent, rents are going to increase. But also, like, my electricity bill is high now already in comparison to what it used to be. And then I'm like a 20% and then a 50% on top. Uh, it's 30, a 30% on top, so call it a 50% increase. I'm like, I have no ability to offset that in my personal scenario. Like, I, I live in apartments, right? I go for the convenience factor. I can't go and put <laughs> what is this, solar panels on my windows. <laughs> Just try to like absorb. Hey, hey, hey. I was uh, to go. <laughs> Maybe get something little phone. I don't know if I can, happening. I don't know if I can, but I'll try. Like I just, I just don't have that lever in the way that I'm structured now. Unless I go and I guess rent a house that's got solar panels on on the roof, kind of thing. But it's like I'm hand picking places at that point. And so this was another one of those things that I'm like, ah, this is going to start impacting me by like. Genuinely, we spend hundreds and hundreds every quarter on electricity. I'm like, this this could be a serious impact or benefit if I go and buy a place, put solar panels on it, or if it's already got solar panels, to decrease my personal inflation, right? <laughs> decrease my personal costs. And so for me, I'm like, okay, this could be a play where it's actually going to influence what I'm going to do next. To your point, don't you find it interesting where I think the renters are actually getting screwed a little bit overall at the moment? But also that sort of the, the sort of lower socioeconomic people as well, who probably can't afford the outlay of solar panels, right? They, yeah, so they're, they're sitting there just absorbing it. I think this is a little interesting one to break down. So if if you're a renter right now, rents are going up significantly. Where if you had a mortgage, even though I know interest rates are going up, but at least uh, in context, I think rents are probably going up faster than rates are going up. On the ground experience, Charlie, I can say categorically yes. Okay, so then your power prices are going up if you're a renter as well. Now, you might have solar panels or the ability to put them on, so I won't say all counts. Maybe. Maybe, but if you're a homeowner, you can definitely put in things like that to make a difference. It seems to me it's it's a little bit skewed towards the homeowner's got a bit of an advantage at the moment over the renter, where I would have said that in a different light maybe 12 months ago. And I did. I operated in a completely different light 12 months ago. Like, I was just like, renting's me. I'm going to continually rent. Like, I'm going to ask you this question. In 
your investment properties, how many have solar panels? Do you know what? I actually got a funny one for you on this. We actually had a request on one of our Queensland properties that the renter wanted to put solar panels on themselves. And they, no. they sought our approval we, and we allowed it. No way. Yeah, okay, so they so had <laughs> forecasted that energy prices are going to keep going up. I think they're a bit of greeny as well, which yeah, I'm yeah. all about, right? That's we want awesome. to look after the planet. So they put in a request for solar panels. And I actually thought when we got the request, they wanted us to pay for them. And they were like, no, no, we'll, we'll pay for it. And I'm like, how amazing. So just to be clear, one me like long-term, I'm like, cool, long-term. <laughs> I like you, stay here. <laughs> but, yes, we had that request and actioned it. How in, See, I got one that's got solar panels and that, funnily enough, is in Queensland. But that I, for me as a property investor, I, I don't think that's going to be anything that I'm like, oh, I'm going to go out and get solar panels because I really want my tenants to have a more affordable time here. Like it's just, no, <laughs> it's just not something that I'm really sort of focusing in on, which is a, a, to a detriment of the renters, I will say. Like that might change in the future, but it's just not on my radar as a property investor now. Completely. Is there anything you're going to be doing differently because of the costs in energy change? Like you've mentioned the home ownership being one of them that you're leaning in towards, although I would make the point it's probably several of these items we've discussed on the list that have made that uh, reason to look more heavily in that area. But is there any others? Yeah. It, funnily enough, one of the things that I was grateful for is that I don't think an increase in prices for this personally will impact me or the businesses too much, right? Like I, I assume we we deal with a lot of servers and we deal with a lot of electricity on people's computers and stuff like that. But it's it's like petrol in a car. It's inelastic. Like they could double and we'll still pay for it because it's ne- it's necessary. And I just go, well, I'm just fortunate in the position where I can afford these things where it's just I'm not going to change the way. Like I'm not running around my apartment turning off lights. <laughs> I'll put it that way. I'm not going to say to developers, hey, like don't leave your computer on overnight because it's going to cost us in the office or anything like that. It's just uh, welcome to the world of doing business, welcome to the cost that exist, and it's just no, but I've got no manufacturing. I don't have businesses that will be really heavily impacted in this. So for myself personally, minimal impact. What about you? Yeah, it's probably not going to change a lot for myself personally because I was already playing this game to a degree. But I will say as a like more like let's look at Australia as a whole, I think this is actually going to push more people to work from home. Totally. I think that when people are looking at the costs of running offices, the costs of energy in those offices, and then the cost of going to and from those, that's something that I think is going to push more heavily into this. See, if I was an employee, I'm sitting there going, I'm coming to the office. <laughs> I'm going to use your AC. I'm going to use your power. I'm going to bring my wife in. Like, this is a husband wife days. Like, let's do this. Well, I'm just going to call it. I think it's a tailwind for work from home. I think that's it going to become more of a play from this. Yeah. And, and yeah. And I just feel for the manufacturers. I know uh, the gas in Europe, for example, has really impacted fertilizer, which then impacts agriculture and all these other things. So I don't know where that's going to land in Australia for some of these things that are like the manufacturing and agriculture that rely heavily on like gas and, and electricity. But yeah, I'm just not close enough to it to understand what the knock on effect might be. Completely. Well, I'll tell you what, Grant, I know it took us like 10 takes to do this episode, <laughs> but I feel like we finally made one that is uh, interesting for uh, business owners to do. I'm going to call it now. Let's wrap this one up on a positive. This is the federal budget 2022. I think we made it. I think we made it kind of entertaining. I think it was 
It was like my cheeks are hurting from laughing and I had tears down my eyes. It was great. I'm just glad we got there. Everyone, we put a lot of time and effort into this, if you haven't noticed, uh, but we try and always make sure that it's valuable to business owners around Australia. So if you want to get updated every single time we release these episodes, head over to fullstackbusinessowner.com forward slash newsletter, subscribe, put your details in, and we'll let you know every single time we drop them. I just want to say thank you to yourself, Charlie, and thanks for everyone who's listened, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Full Stack Business Owner.